I'm Mel Stewart, and this is Swim Swim Podcast. Joining me today, we have two towering figures in the sport of swimming, real generation movers. We have Nicholas Askew, Nick Askew, Howard University Director of Swimming, Diving, and Tennis. Nick's also an alum, star swimmer, part of a family dynasty at Howard. He followed his brothers there who swam, Joseph and Mark. Today, we also have Joel Shinnefield, USA Swimming Managing Director of Sport Development, Swimming's friendliest faces among coaches. The former executive director of the College Swimming Coaches Association of America before assuming his current role at USC Swimming. Today, I asked you here because of really because of two reasons. One, the elephant in the room, uh, USA Swimming currently with registration, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but we have it's one percent who identify as black, six percent who identify as mixed, and that is, um, let's just say that doesn't reflect America as it stands right now. And we're not going to grow going forward if that if those if those percentages don't change. Two, uh, there was a big splashy headline that dropped December 14th by USA Swimming. USA Swimming launches a million-dollar grant opportunity to grow aquatic sports at historically black colleges and universities. Joel, you're up first. Give me the 411. Help me unpack this million-dollar goal and time of delivery. Sure. Well, I think, well first off, thanks for having us. Um, my experience is probably not reflective of most in the sport. So I started swimming when I was in high school. Um, my high school was located in the city of Minneapolis. My team was very diverse. Uh, the, city, the city conference that I competed in was very diverse. I loved uh, swimming from the first moment that I started doing it. I had a fantastic high school coach, and that led me to join a, a club swimming team. Uh, which was coached by Jesse Thomas. And Jesse Thomas uh, was an HBCU alum, swam uh, back in the 70s and 80s, really the heyday. Uh, I, I would say the 70s were really the heyday of, of HBCU swimming in terms of overall number of conferences, the, the participating teams, the, the championship environment and atmosphere was really incredible. <clears throat> and so I just didn't know any better, to be perfectly honest. Um, I just assumed the sport was more diverse than it was. Of course, when you start swimming club, you start realizing that that's probably not true. Um, versus seeing guys like Jody Baker and Kyle Hammes and people like that on the blocks in my in my city conference meets. But, uh, you know, we've been trying to figure out how to provide more opportunities in the sport. It's, it's why I got involved as a coach. Um, it's why I got involved to lead the College Swimming Coaches Association to preserve those opportunities and hopefully create more. And the same thing is true at USA Swimming is to create more opportunities. And where better to create opportunities that are HBCUs? They have facilities. They have a history in the sport. Uh, many of them still have really strong physical education programs that can produce future coaches, future aquatics directors, et cetera. Um, already we see it right at, at Howard with Nick, uh, his assistant coach, um, you know, Dr. Miriam Lynch, who's also an alum of, of Howard, who's coached at NCAP um, and places like that. But just we, we know where coaches come from. I was just on the, on the phone last week with Gia Wright. Uh, and Gia swam in North Carolina A&T. Unfortunately, she was among one of the last swimmers to compete there before the program was cut. But she coaches a, 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 in Charlotte a high school team of over 100 kids. Um, she coaches club as well, and she's a teacher. But 
we know that the HBCU programs can produce future coaches and future aquatic um, specialists. And we know if kids see those people on the deck, they will gravitate towards them and they will, they will become a part of our swimming community and they will have opportunities. So at the end of the day, the, the reason we're doing it is, is my experience is, is that if you create opportunities for people and you put people in charge who look like their community, you will draw more people to the sport and create more opportunities for those kids to enjoy it, love it, compete and get better. Um, before I, I, I did, before I bring you in, Nick, I just want I wanted to, to note something. I got this from USA Swimming, and, and it really it's bottom lines what, what we have here. USA Swimming Foundation provides $600,000 in grants to programs that provide free or reduced cost lessons. The plan is to annually grow that number to communities and impact the sport as a whole through 2028 at the Olympics. Um, two, this grant is 100 the 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 grant to the historically black college and university is $100,000 annually to support these programs for the next 10 years. And it's it, just, Joel, one more question. Is, is this aspirational or is this, is this a hard goal? Is this, is this going to be so hard? No, it's a hard goal. So right. I, I'll just, uh, let me fix a little bit of what you just said. So we have, we currently have our learn to swim grants, which is somewhere between 500 and $700,000 a year. We've committed to also create a community impact grant program, which reaches that same level by the time we reach 2028. And that is for competitive swimming. Those grants go to our clubs um, in order to create new programming in facilities that currently don't have programming. That money goes to uh, female coaches, to programs that are led by uh, diverse coaches. Um, it also, uh, part of that money was going to programs at HBCUs. We decided that we would expand that program, create a separate grant uh, dollar specifically for HBCUs. So what we're doing, quite honestly, is figuring out how to impact communities as we're going through this, and we're adding more dollars as we go. We'll also announce a partnership with Diversity in Aquatics here shortly. Uh, we're working through the final uh, components of that memorandum to help support that programming as well. So overall, it's just part of an understanding that we reached in 2018 when I arrived that we were going to drive opportunity in the sport. Um, and we're putting our money behind that now um, and, and putting the people behind it as well. So. Nick, sorry to bring you in so late, but I just let, let's just dive right in. It's uh, for, you know before we dive in, I'd, I'd like to know a little bit about your history, um, and I and I have to ask this because um, tennis, ten, I'm jealous because you're a two sport athlete. <laughs> but uh, so so what you know what won your heart? What is the story behind swimming and tennis, and and how swimming won out? You know, it, it's actually a really simple story to be quite honest with you. You know, I'm a very I. I grew up with the privilege of having a community center literally around the block from where I lived. And guess what it had? It had a baseball field. It had a track, a tennis courts, tennis courts, and a swimming pool. And literally that was my daycare. You know, I had two really hardworking parents who left home early in the morning and came back late in the day. And that's where I was. They knew where to find me. And I gravitated towards swimming and tennis more because my father played tennis um, and I gravitated towards swimming more because my older brother swam. Now, three brothers in a, in a home in North Carolina where, you know, you just kind of have free reign. Uh, my parents knew we had to stay busy. So they made sure that we were actually enrolled in, in team sports and team activities and tennis and swimming became the two that, you know, really were the ones that I stuck with because again, I had the, the benefit of growing up just that close. Uh, my parents didn't have to worry where I was. 
they knew that I would be, you know, right there at the tennis courts or at the swimming pool, you know, during those times. You know, a lot of athletes aren't, um, they're not two sport athletes in college. They, 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 they get specific. You were MVP for three years in swimming MVP one year at, at Howard. It's in, in terms of your experience, just as an undergrad, just out of curiosity, because I'm a little bit jealous. Um, <laughs> did you, did you walk a lot? Were you, were you, were you just the king of campus? Was this, you know, was his, how, how respected were you? Because, you know, swimming, swimming and before Michael Phelps, swimming was like, you know, you would, we would grumble under our breath and say, I'm, I, it's a hobby. It's not a real sport because there's no ball, but you <laughs> just, just give me some insight. Yeah. I, I, I definitely probably, people would probably say I walked around thinking I was the king. Um, but that's actually a Howard thing. Like everyone that attends Howard is the top of their class and whatever they do. And I, I actually, that's part of my recruiting kind of spiel when I'm talking to recruits and parents is that, you know, everyone comes to Howard and is a part of this, uh, the part of the programs that they're in as being former homecoming kings or captains of the football team, captain of the debate team, valedictorians, that when you get to Howard, that's, that's the excellence that's actually here on campus. So we all walk around with, with our heads high and, you know, our chest kind of poked out. And my wife actually, you know, she probably will be mad at me for saying this, but, you know, my, our freshman year, she was like, look at that guy. He's walking around like he owns the place, you know, that type of thing. Um, but no, there was, I, I think it was such a great dynamic on campus because of that, because we all supported each other and we all knew that we're, you know, we're striving, striving for greatness and whatever endeavor that we were doing. Um, let's bring it back to our, our, our topic. What, what, um, how does, how does this grant impact Howard? Yeah, what, what does it mean? Can you get a little bit granular? Yeah, absolutely. This is something that I, I have literally been longing for as a, not just here, but at all the HBCUs because HBCUs, you know, we have a population that has been underrepresented and undersupported um, in, in this particular sport. And what better way, you know, you look at the percentages and the drowning rates and, um, it, it, and how it disproportionately affects the black community. So with that, at an HBCU, we have a concentrated population. What better place to try to reset that cycle, reset that wheel? Um, so having that as an, as, uh, having this grant and it being specific to HBCUs is huge. We here, we're the only Division I competitive program um, in, in NC2A. And that is, to me, and I'll tell everybody, that's sad. It really is because it's not that we have the best facility or we have the best this or that. It's just that we have great leadership that believes in the sport and not just from the competitive perspective, but what it does for the rest of the, the community. So we are looking forward to being able to utilize the grant to really ramp up our, um, our community service offerings for learn to swim, um, for WSI training, lifeguard training, all the things that are going to help you know, get, remove some of the barriers. And they are, you know, they are pretty, um, there, there's a good number of them. These will, this grant will help remove a lot of those barriers, which has to really, really revolves around the financing of being able to do it. Um, and then again, that's just going to grow because we get to be an example to other HBCUs that either uh, that have facilities or can utilize the grant at a different facility. And, you know, hopefully we'll bring back as Joel mentioned earlier, you know, the 70s were the heyday, you know, of HBCU swimming, bring back some of these programs that did have pro that did uh, compete back then, um, or even influence a program that never had 
a competitive team, you know, to, to get back into the, get into the competitive realm. Nitty gritty. Uh, this isn't going to affect Howard, but it, this, this, this is a, do grants like these motivate schools to keep the pools open. Is, is this enough? Cause that, that's a, that's a fear among everybody in, 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 in college swimming right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll, I'll jump in a little bit on that. I think, one is it's not just the grant, it's the support. So part of the grant is is, is an annual significant grant to, to Norfolk State University to offset uh, the cost of an adjunct professor to cover um, Dr. Sean Anderson's time. Uh, so he can spend time supporting the programs at other HBCUs and make sure they're successful. So it's not just the startup money to help get programs going. And, and as Nick said, these grants are designed to be for learn to swim, for community youth programming, to build up aquatics programming at the HBCU so that down the road, it sets the stage for there's a community involvement. There are people that come to the university who want to be involved in swimming for a varsity program. We have two really good models at, at, at different ends of this. One is one is Nick's program, right, where there's competitive program. There's already this commitment to the community um, from the varsity athletes led by led by Nick and his assistants. But then there's also Coppin State, right, which has a great youth program, um, which has a great learn to swim program, which also has a club team at the university right now and is moving towards a varsity program. We, we provide they were one of the first recipients of the community impact grants as well, uh, led by a diverse coach. Um, but that's what we want to do. We want to create that sort of community, desirable place to go. People know that it's a place where aquatics is happening and people can get involved in competitive swimming. They can learn to swim. And then when a, a student arrives on campus, there's a place for them to go from a, a club standpoint. And then hopefully down the road, you know, ideally we get to more varsity programs uh, so that Nick's team, you know, can can lead the way there. Um, but that's that the idea is is full aquatic programming and then support from someone who's an expert in the space in Dr. Sean Anderson. Let me bring this back to Nick. And I'll, I'll say this, I want to preface it by saying this, the, um, so I've been, a, I've been an ambassador for the USC Swimming Foundation since well, going back to 2008 and, uh, and was really following Cullen Jones around the country and Rowdy Gaines. But it's, as, as I was educated by Cullen, this, this, uh, this, the point of the foundation was because we're 1% black, 6% mixed, and that we had to change those numbers. Uh, you know, as, as, as a kid, when I swam, if, 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 if there was a black swimmer on deck, it was, it was, it was very rare and, and unlike Joel's experience. Um, so Nick, have you seen a change in terms of your recruiting prospects just over time? Do you have, you had more options? Do you see the move, the, the needle moving? You know, I'm in a really interesting space. Um, I can see the needle moving when I actually attend, you know, the Black History Meet, which is held annually in February, or the Black Heritage Meet, which is held annually, uh, I believe, in May. Um, but it's difficult for me to say the needle is moving in, in the seat that I'm in currently as a recruiter for a Division One program, because there are no other HBCUs. Whereas I feel like, okay, there, there, there's a lot there, and I. And I, I'm confident there is, but it's also difficult because, you know, we are the only one. So if, if, uh, if an athlete, if a swimmer or diver wants to compete at an HBCU in swimming and diving, we're the only option. So I can't really say that I, I, I know that the needle is moving there, but I know that the numbers, when you look at the amount of people who are, are in attendance to those two meets that I mentioned, um, you know, you know that, that, that there is definitely 
some change that's being brought about, especially in the competitive space, and not just from the swimmers. Um, one of the things that's also, and I think Joel alluded to this, is you know, being able to have representation in all capacities, in all facilities, your coaches, your officials, um, those make a difference, your lifeguards, your pool operators, those definitely make a difference. And, you're, and I definitely see more of that diversity at those two, particular two meets. And then additionally, when I go to other meets to, to, um, to recruit, you, you, I do see a difference. Um, is it enough? Is it where it needs to be? Not even close. Uh, we've got a really, really long ways to go. And I think, again, this grant is going to help give this, you know, a shot of adrenaline to, you know, that we'll see the fruits of the labor five, 10 years from now. Joel, you came on board in 2018 at USA Swimming. And uh, it's, um, you know, it this was this was a big moment in history in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder. It seems like everybody was motivated. Everybody wanted to make a change. Everybody wanted to do something. And then I talked to my friends and they'd be like, okay, Mel. And, and my, my, my friends shrugged. And they were like, yeah, excuse me, my, my friends who are black and mixed race, they, they were like, okay, Mel, you're, you're, they were almost offended that I was suddenly motivated and passionate about, about making changes. Um, it's, it takes, it takes a long time. And that, that was, that was their, that was their feedback to me. Um, is the, this is, this is where we stand right now in 2000 this announcement was made in 21. This, this is going to go, we're, we're starting in 2022. It feels like we're living in the future. Um, how real is this in terms of making that generational impact? And is this something that can grow? I'd like, I'd like to know, I would like to know your opinion on that, but I would also like to say, you know, how, how does this compare to um, the images of Maritza, uh, Maritza Correa? And, uh, and, and Cullen Jones and our, and our stars, you know, in, in concert with that, it's like, what is, what is the face of swimming going forward? That's a, that's a, but first of all, there's a lot of questions in there. Um, I'll start with, I'm, I'm a Minneapolis kid, right? Um, my high school is a mile from uh, where George Floyd was murdered. Uh, Madera Arredondo, uh, the former chief of police of Minneapolis, was the resource officer at the school that I taught in in North Minneapolis, where Jesse Thomas and I started an after-school program with Gene Freeman, former head coach at the University of Minnesota, to give kids in that neighborhood an opportunity. What's really cool is the V3 Foundation bought the pool from Olympic Trials and is putting a program into North Minneapolis. They're putting a 50-meter pool, a learn-to-swim program pool in North Minneapolis, which is going to be awesome and create more opportunities in the city of Minneapolis, because quite frankly... Cities like Minneapolis have gone backwards. There were seven high school programs when I was in high school, which were super diverse, gave a lot of opportunities for kids to swim. There were two 50-meter pools in North Minneapolis that kids could swim in in the summer where I trained, um, uh, you know, and they're gone, right? And this is going to bring that back. Detroit was the epicenter for like high school swimming. They had a great high school swimming program. It was actually where a lot of the HBCUs would go and recruit. And in fact, like people like Hollis Patton, you know, one of my, a close friend of mine who came out of the Detroit, you know, public swimming, high school swimming program, and then became an aquatics manager, was an aquatics director, different places. That's where these guys came from, right? And that's where, and, and they're all over the country. Like Nick, Nick can talk about all the people in diversity and aquatics who have these Detroit roots and are now running pools. And unfortunately they're like, they're 60, you know, they're, they're 70 years old. Like we gotta, we gotta rebuild that. So the future is dependent on programs like this and other programs to get, you know, as Nick said earlier, like lifeguards, like aquatics directors, like program managers, all these people so that the face of swimming 
is diverse down the road. So we don't take more steps backwards. That's why this is a 10-year commitment. And this is this is the base level commitment, right? This is what we know we've got right now. But but as as the as the foundation uh, expands its reach, talks to people more about competitive opportunities for for everybody, not just learn to swim and 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 you know gold medalists, which which are awesome, right? They're awesome goals. But most of us are experienced in swimming is hey, we had great teammates. We loved it. We love the experience. We want to replicate that experience that other people have that experience. And so these grants, you know, the, the goal is, is long-term to change the face of swimming, but we're going to use the famous faces, right? Because listen, swimming is a volume business in terms of success, Olympic success. We don't have in the United States of America, one training plan to produce Olympians. We have 2,800 clubs, right? That are active. Each one of them has a different way of coaching kids. And, you know, Mel, you've, you've swum for multiple coaches over, over your career and you had different experiences that got you to different places in your career. So listen, we know that that volume produces great talent. Look at, look at, look at the amazing talent we have right now in our national team that's diverse. All right. Okay. And over the last 10 years, people like Maritza, well, hell, if we know that this is a volume business, Let's give more opportunities to every community so we see more success like that, right? Like, that's that's the whole goal. Like, I would love to see an Olympic team in 2032 that is more reflective of the racial makeup of this country, not of the racial experience of this country. Like, you know what I don't want to have? I don't want swimming to look like what, quite honestly, Black America looks like right now, like in the experience. Like, a really close friend of mine, Adam Hutchinson, who's the athletic director at Earlham College, was in a meeting where somebody suggested that we make, you know, sport and division three sports specifically look like, look like, you know, New Jersey, because he was coaching at that time in New Jersey. He's like, listen, you know, white people have $80,000 in equity in their homes. Black people have $900, like average education. We don't want it to look like that. We want it to look like the racial makeup. And we want we want people to look like, we want this to look like opportunity. People can grow that we improve society through these opportunities, not keep the status quo. Nick, um, you've lived this experience from, from age group years all the way to, to now. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to like to share an opinion with you and, and tell me if you think that checks out. Maybe you don't know. And I don't want to make assumptions on what you believe. Um, I think swimming skews uh, politically conservative based on the analytics and data that I see at swim swam. It's, um, it's, uh, I think a lot more people think that they're, they're, they're left-leaning and progressive, but, um, you know, critical race theory is, is, is probably going to be what a lot of conservatives run on for the midterms. And it's, uh, and I, I would, I would say that a lot of my peers are, are, they don't understand it. They don't understand the, the context and, and, and why, and why it matters, uh, so under under that umbrella, what has been your experience in terms of from age group to present day, and 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 have you seen that change? Um, have you seen that change as as we stand here right now, January two thousand twenty two? You know, I, I think that there's again there, you can sense change. Uh, I think where 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 I am and where most people are and you know, can't speak for everyone, but it's not enough. Um, it, it, there has to be so much more that has to be done, you know, to, to make a difference. And, um, you know, the history is the history, good, bad, ugly, and indifferent. And we cannot be afraid to know what the history is. And we cannot be afraid to teach with history because by knowing what that history is, we have a better idea of how to chart our future. 
right? If we don't know that those were dread, those were incredible and unhumane, you know, acts or, and, and things that have happened, how do we not repeat that? So by knowing that and learning from that, and it's not a matter of saying, oh, you, you're responsible, you personally are responsible and you need to apologize and you owe me. No, let's just make sure that we all know what happened. And it's important that every single person, you know, knows what this history is so that we can all move forward together, right? And it can't be because, you know, growing up, uh, we were taught from one perspective. And it wasn't until I got to Howard where I was able to get exposed to different perspectives and different experiences and being able to read literature from other authors and, and, and um, historians that was, I never was taught in high school. I was never taught in middle school. I was taught from one perspective. So I, you know, you gain that appreciation and that helps me, at least I think, become, be more diverse in thought and even more diverse within my community and being able to understand the different cultures and the makeups and how, how, you know, how to respect each person, because I know more about, you know, where their background and the history and, and the cultures that they come from. Joel has a very unique experience. Nick, Nick and I both grew up in North Carolina and I, and we're, we're I'm, I'm older than he is, but I don't think we're too far apart in age. Um, my, 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 and I went through the public school system. So my memory of the public school system was that the civil war was an economic war and it was, it was whitewashed and I didn't, and I never had a full unpacking of our history until I, until I reached college, but I felt like it would have, I felt like I would have been, a, a, a it, it would have shaped me and I would have been thinking more critically sooner if I had been taught. And I think that you can teach that to kids. Uh, it's. As it stands right now, the um, and I, I would like to know uh, if this is a question for Nick. I, I wonder if you're if you if you're watching the success of, of Team USA on the Olympic podium, and you're seeing, you know, we see Anthony Irvin, we see Simone Manuel, we see we see Colin Jones, we 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 and we have so many stars who are who are rising fast. It's like wow, knowing that it's one percent black, six percent mixed. Um, it seems like there is so much talent coming from this, this part of the United States. It seems as though that, that, that motivation alone should be, should, it should be like the roof is on fire. This is, this is how we're going to be. This is how we're going to be successful going forward. Is that something that, 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 that drifts through your head, Nick? You know, I, I think so. Um, it, when you, when I look up there and I see, you know, those examples that, uh, you know, Colin and Maritza, everyone you mentioned, Simone, it, it, it makes me smile, but it also makes, it makes me kind of sad because I look at, you know, our history and what, what if, you know, if it wasn't that way, I, I, turn that all back around to let's make the future better. Let's, you know, let's make sure that we put systems in place. Let's make sure that, that it, it can be improved and be the example of what we all know is our potential. Um, so it, it, I guess all that to say it's mixed emotions. It makes me happy. It makes me sad. It makes me motivated. Joel, you know, this is um, from, from a leadership standpoint, from the top down, it's uh, you, 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 we can have a million dollar grant. We can have, we can have endless programs. But if I'm a coach and I'm in my local community and I've got a team and I've got 300 swimmers, um, and I, and, and this is something that, that I know that matters and is a priority going forward. What can you do outside of, of, of grant money and outside of, 
of um, of what should be done because it's really that's where change happens. What's what would you like that club coach in Iowa to be thinking? I'd love to just take a look at at what zip codes you're serving, um, what zip codes where there are kids that aren't being served by an aquatics program, and figure out how you can expand your club into that into that space. Um, you know that that's that's to me the key, and that that's why the community impact grants exist. You know, we're talking to a couple of coaches who were thinking, who were saying, "Gosh, you know, if if we had just some backing from USA Swimming and, and some and, some, and just a few dollars, we could we could move into this other high school that that doesn't have a program, and we could we could offer after school programming there. We could offer lessons. We could potentially down the road offer a competitive team. But could USA Swimming help us get into that facility? Could you give us a little grant money so we could get it started? And I think <clears throat> that's really the key because if you're looking at your your small business, which is what all of our clubs are. And you're saying, gosh, we have all, we've, we basically tapped out. We've got all of these kids from, you know, X, Y, or Z zip code. Uh, but man, we don't have everybody from, we don't, we don't have a single kid from the zip code. And it's, it's 10 minutes from our pool, you know, and how can we figure that out? How, how can we offer programming there? Is there, is there a pool there that's not being used? Like, how could I create a, a satellite program or how could I get kids to this pool? I think it's just how you expand your business. Listen, we know we're not at capacity. Some of our teams are um, in their facilities. They're maxed out in terms of the numbers of kids that they can have in the program. But there's no way that we're at capacity overall, given the number of facilities in this country, given the number of club teams we have, given the number of high school summer league programs, all of those things. We're not at capacity. We can we can serve more kids. But once again, as you mentioned, though, our clubs are what do it, right? You, you have a U.S. swimming experience through one of our clubs. That's how you. That's how you get there. USA Swimming doesn't go out and and offer memberships to kids to swim on their own. It's through one of our clubs. It's through our coaches. Coaches drive our clubs. Um, we want to incentivize our coaches to get involved and, and build out their programming, and that's why those community impact grants are available. We also know that we have to create some new programs that just don't exist, and that's what the HBCU program is. These are facilities that often have you know a really good aquatics professional associated with them. But maybe we get them to look at the facility a little bit different to start to think about using it as a competitive program. Maybe now, you know, Sean connects that person with Nick or connects them with Raheem at Coppin State and says, talk, would you mind talking to them about how you built your program? Um, you know, expert to expert can talk about their own communities. So that, that's that's the whole goal. It's going to take education. It's going to take support. Um, we were really lucky when we announced this program. You know, we had Maritza with us. We had Dr. Miriam Lynch from, from Diversity and Aquatics. You know, we had some really stellar people. I've got Leland Brown on, on, on our team here at USA Swimming, um, Sean Anderson, just an incredible human being with a great competitive swimming experience. All of it together is how we're going to grow this. It's not just going to be a grant. It's not just going to be a single person who's, who's you know, fired up to do something. It's going to be a holistic approach to growing opportunities. Nick, I'm coming at this topic because I saw this headline and, and I got excited. I'm like, this is important. This is uh, this is something that we need to talk about, and we need to continue to be talking about as we as we move forward. But I'm coming at it from 60,000 60, feet. Is there is there is there something that you're like Mel? You're missing this question. This is something that needs to be said. Is it is there is there is there something because you're on the front lines? This it's is is there is there something that you would like to say? Oh yeah, how much time we got? Uh, <laughs> well, I, I, I don't no, mean to put you. There's, there's a terrible <laughs> questions. It's a terrible question to ask, but I, I, I it, you know, in a podcast format, it's a, um, yeah. it's one, it's one that I like to ask. 
Yeah, no, 100%. I, I think, you know, this is a huge step. And I think the things that Jose Soma has been doing has been, you know, making a difference for sure. Um, what, what I often talk about is the accountability, right? It, it's not just about putting the money out there, you know, and, and yes, money is important because we always say, put your money where your mouth is. If you really want to support something, pour the money into it. But we also have to have the accountability of it and making sure it's not just, okay, we gave this organization X amount of dollars, then what? What came of it? What are the what are the the numbers that we can really associate? How did the how did this change the you know the composition of how things are going? Um, so I and I know that you know there's a lot of thought and there's amazing people that are have been a part of the conversations of making this happen and are going to see it moving forward. Um, but I can tell you that's one of the things that I'm definitely going to be looking for is is it's making sure that these these monies actually make the difference and we can see what the percentages look like and it won't be subjective of just okay stepping on the deck and taking you know inventory you know of the diverse uh individuals in the environment that will hopefully be a result and you can see that but we also want to be able to see you know from a numbers perspective you're a data guy joel <laughs> everyone's going to be you're going to dive into the data on this i i do appreciate that because you can you can you can throw money at at any sit any situation and and sometimes it doesn't um the you, you don't get out of those dollars what you were anticipating so it'd be interesting to see how the trajectory changes over the next few years um joel uh, disguise do you have any final thoughts before we part ways yeah, you know thanks for the opportunity um I really appreciate it. I think, you know, one thing that these grants came out of was an experience that we had. Mike Swatalski runs a program up in Buffalo. It's probably our, one of our most diverse teams. Take out our Chicago Park and Rec program, just from a club standpoint, one of our most diverse teams. Mike started with a $5,000 grant. Um, that, that's, that's how his program started. He went out and found more grant money to match it. But that's sort of the impetus is, you know, Mike gave us sort of this blueprint. And we know that not everybody's going to be Mike and, and going to be like, that guy grinds, right? He's a full-time teacher. He's, he's running the LSC. He's, he's running his program. He's hammering it, right? Not everybody's going to have that kind of energy who can do that for the number of years that Mike's done it. But we do know that that grant started him off, right? And he started with like 12 kids. And then he went out and found matching grants to that and, and started to expand his program. So we're not saying that the $5,000, $10,000, whatever it is that we give a club is going to be the be all end all to make this happen. But if we give to the right people who are like Mike and go out and find other resources and are really committed to their community and growing their program, that's going to be great. And let's not forget, this is not all about dollars. There are plenty of wealthy middle class or middle class communities that are not being served by aquatics programs because of redlining, because of closed facilities, all of those things, right? There, We want to reach into those communities. When I'm talking about looking at your zip codes, you're looking at every zip code to see where there's underserved populations. So these grants are a start. Um, the support from the people side is going to be really important. Um, and that's where you know, the partnership with DIA, people like Sean and Leland Brown on our staff, our team services group led by Brendan Hansen um, and MJ Truex, like those people are all going to play a role in this. And then experts that already exist, like Nick, you know, Raheem, people like that who are out there doing it, Mike Sotolsky, like those experts are going to be super important in helping us grow opportunities. So the metrics are going to be obviously obvious to us as we go through. They're part of our key performance indicators to see that we grow that, just like we've done with our community swim teams that Sean has led. 
we're going to keep expanding opportunities and we're going to measure it for sure. And we're going to hold ourselves accountable by getting more people involved to support the programming, not just throw uh, a few dollars here and a few dollars there. It's going to be people. It's going to be money. It's going to be long-term commitment. It's such a unique situation. That is, that is, uh, I'm, I'm talking to you from Austin right now. Austin is of course, major, major market, red line city. Uh, in the, but I grew up in Charlotte, another city, red line, you know, bifurcated by the highway and, you know, a powerful club, which was 99.9% white. Everybody went to, to the opposite side of town and used a public facility. And, um, you know, for use of that public facility in that community, um, there was no representation. There was no representation on the team. Nick, do you have any, any, any parting thoughts? I know that I know that you're, you're looking into the future, but, um, I just, I want to give you the last word. No, I appreciate it. I, I really appreciate being on the podcast. I've, I've had a great conversation with you guys. Um, the, the monies for this grant, you know, are, are really going to make a difference because with the money, you're, we're able to support the engines and the engines are those people that are going to go and do the work. Um, I think it's also super important that we create, we have the exchange of information kind of like um, toolkits that don't, depending on where you are, you're able to take out what you need for the job to be able to grow the sport and to increase the diversity within the sport. Um, those engines are going to be huge for you because uh, it, I'm sorry, that path, those toolkits and creating kind of a, an outline or a blueprint that allows, because we don't want people to be successful by chance. You know, we, we, we appreciate luck and, and falling into good favor, but we also want to know these are the things that are going to make a difference and here's how we do it. Um, you know, I, and uh, I look forward to seeing the future. Um, you know, it, it will be a little tough if, as I've probably mentioned in other conversations about having other HBCUs you know, bring back their programs and then I have to compete for, you know, that particular recruit or then we have to compete against. But it's going to be a beautiful, you know, situation to have because, um, you know, we, we all want to have the HBCUs in that population continue to grow in the sport in every particular dynamic, whether it be learning to swim, um, to, to decrease the drowning rates in the community or even at a competitive level where we see more, you know, NCAA qualifiers, Olympic qualifiers and Olympic medalists. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam podcasts on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.